So if you can turn to Psalm 103, that's where we're going to be tonight, is in Psalm 103. And the title of my message is Remembering God's Benefits. Uh, you know, next week, as you, as you know, we celebrate Thanksgiving uh, here um, as a nation. That's a national holiday, a time of just giving thanks to the Lord. And so tonight I want to take the time to look at a Psalm of David here, Psalm 103, that reminds us of the benefits of God. And so why is it important to remember his, his benefits? Well, I think it's important because it will cause us to give thanks and to give praise to the Lord in response. I want to read a quote here. Um, the, the, the commentator says, The more bountifully God, God's benefits are showered down upon men in their brief lives of constant need, the more easily is one of, after another forgotten. But all the more base is such forgetfulness. God in his goodness comes forth to meet our wants and anticipate our request. As we, are we as speedy with our thanks, as ready in our praise, that men should praise God with a willing readiness? There are necess necessary, these three things. One, a soul mindful of his blessings. Two, a heart susceptible of love towards him. Three, a conscience sensitive to his righteous demand. And so, um, you know, it's easy, right? I think at times if we're not careful to forget who God is and what he's done. I mean, he pours us and loads us down with his benefits. But we can easily, just as quickly as he provides, we can forget what the Lord has done. And, you know, we're commanded to give thanks and praise the Lord. I have three references I want to share with you here. First Peter 2.9 says to us as his chosen people, says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so God set us aside for a purpose to proclaim his praises is one of the reasons which he has chosen us and set us apart for himself. Hebrews 13, 15 says, therefore by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And then lastly, Psalm 100, verse 4, it exhorts us. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. And so that's what the Lord is calling us to as his people, as the be people that, that praise him, that give thanks to him for who he is and for what he's done. So now as we turn our attention here to Psalm 103, um, we know that this is a Psalm of David but we don't know the timing of its writing. We don't know when David wrote this psalm, at what point in his life. And uh, Spurgeon tends to lean toward, uh, tended to lean toward a later time in his life. And Spurgeon said this, he said, we should attribute it to his later years when he had a higher sense of the preciousness of pardon because a keener sense of sin than in his younger days. His clear sense of the frailty of life indicates his weaker years, as also does the very fullness of his, pra of his praiseful gratitude. And, you know, I tend to agree there. I think we really see in this psalm a maturity, an awareness, a greater awareness in David's life of, of God's forgiveness and of God's mercy and of, of who God is and of his own frailty. You know, this psalm also reminds us that God is like no other. And that's something else I think we will see as we look at this psalm. God stands apart from anyone or anything. There's no one like him. And David makes uh, allusion to that and talks about that in this psalm. 
One thing interesting to know before we get any further into the psalm is that this psalm has no petitions in it, no prayer requests are in this psalm. This is simply a psalm of praise being offered to the Lord. And I think that's a good reminder as we begin to consider this, that sometimes it's just good to be still and to offer praise to the Lord and not get caught up with a list of prayer requests. You know, nothing wrong. We're called to seek the Lord. We're called to make our requests known to him. Not saying that we shouldn't do that. But I think sometimes there's just a place in our lives for just being still and offering praise and worship to the Lord for who he is and for the benefits that he has brought into our life. So let's begin there with verses one and two. Here David says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. David here begins by calling himself to praise the Lord, right? At the end of the psalm, David calls others to praise God, and we'll get that to that in a little while, but he starts out here by calling himself to praise the Lord. Praise and thanksgiving should start always with me and with each of us. We should be the first to praise the Lord, and that's what David is doing here. He's calling himself to praise the Lord. This needs to be the first place we look for praise and thanksgiving to be going up to God is in our lives. Is my life one that's giving praise and giving thanks to God? So David opens this psalm with a reminder to himself to praise the Lord. It seems that David had taken stock of where he was spiritually and realized he needed to remind himself to praise God. It is good for us to do that. It is good for us to take stock of where we are spiritually in this and to examine our lives. I mean, look at our lives. Are our lives ones that are, is our life marked by praise? Is our life marked by worship to the Lord where we are right now in, this, in our walk with the Lord? Are we recognizing what the Lord has done and praising him for it? And I think that's what David is doing here. He's calling himself to this. He's looking at, at his life and he's reminding himself to worship and to praise the Lord. Uh, Warren Wiersbe says and reminds us of this importance of remembering. He says, at least 14 times in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses admonished the people to remember the Lord and what he did for them. And nine times he cautioned them to not forget. And so that's what David is doing here. He's calling himself to remember. He's calling himself to not lose sight of what God has done. And we know, sadly, the nation of Israel didn't remember that admonition there in the book of Deuteronomy. They did forget they forgot what God did, and as a result, they got off away from the Lord and, and got away from giving him thanks and worship. You know, Romans 121, Paul there connects the importance of thankfulness to where we are with the Lord. And Paul says, speaking of people um, that were, had dove into deep sin in their lives, this is because they all know, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so Paul, as he begins to talk about people that are way far from the Lord, there in Romans chapter 1, he starts off by reminding that they had chosen to not give thanks to the Lord, not acknowledge who he is. And that began their downward spiral away from the Lord. So that's why it's not an unimportant thing. 
that we remember to be those who worship and praise the Lord. It matters because otherwise we can find ourselves far from the Lord and far from where the Lord wants us to be. Um, so we need to remember to be those that are calling ourselves to praise and worship the Lord. We need to take stock and examine our lives. You know, praise, I want to say this too, you know, it's easy to get caught up sometimes thinking that, you know, well, I have to feel like praising the Lord in order to praise him. But praise is not to be based on how we feel. It's not to be based on our current circumstances and how things may look. It is sometimes a matter of the will. We have to determine and decide, I'm going to praise the Lord. And I think that's what we see David doing here is he's saying to himself, offer praise to the Lord, worship him. Um, so we're, and I think we have to, we're constantly fighting in our lives a spiritual amnesia, right? Where we can forget what the Lord has done. And we can get focused on problems and circumstances and fail to give thanks, fail to give the praise due his name. Notice here in these verses one and two, David says these things. He says, all that is within me and oh my soul. And so David is expressing that his praise not be just words from his, from his mouth, but from the very center of his being is what David is talking about. He's, not, he's ta not talking about just giving lip service to the Lord. He's not talking about just mouthing words. He's saying to himself, may my praise be from with all that was within me, my innermost being, all that I am, may it be praising and worshiping the Lord. And so David understood that true worship was something deeply inward of the soul. That it wasn't just an appearance thing. It wasn't just for the sake of others and what they saw. It was a, is it genuine? Is it genuine worship of the Lord? And in reminding himself of this, he begins to go and to think upon the benefits of the Lord. And that's where we're going to spend a good bit of our time here in these verses 3 through 10, looking at the benefits that David talks about. There in verse 3, the first half, he says of the Lord who forgives all our iniquities. You know, <clears throat> only God can forgive sin. Only he's able to forgive sin. And we see that in, in the Gospels there in the healing of the paralytic there in Mark chapter 2, verses 3 through 12 where the friends of the paralytic bring him to Jesus. And Jesus says, before even healing him, he says, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and those sitting around reasoned within themselves and said, who can forgive sins but God? He's speaking blasphemy. And they were correct in that. Only God can forgive sin. And this is what David says here is he forgives all of all your iniquities. Not only does he forgive, but he forgives all. <laughs> and aren't you glad of that, right? That it wasn't just part of our sin that the Lord forgives. What a mess I would be in if God only forgave me of some of my sin. And so I love that reminder there from David that God forgives all our iniquities. All of them. Nothing is, is missed Nothing is lost. God forgives them all. Isaiah 55, 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. And abundantly, it's complete. 
There's complete pardon. All of our iniquities are forgiven. And so right off the bat, that's where David starts, is remembering that God forgives all his iniquities. And we could stop there, right? And that would be enough to give thanks and worship to the Lord for, but David goes on. The next one there, the second half of verse three, says, who heals all your diseases. As we consider this, I think we must remember where disease comes from. The fact that there is disease in this world uh, is because of sin. I'm not saying that because somebody's sick is because they've sinned. I'm saying is disease exists because sin has entered the world. It was never part of God's plan for there to be disease. It was never part of God's plan for people to die. That wasn't God's plan. That's not what God wanted, but sin, God warned Adam. He said, the day you eat of the fruit, there in Genesis 2.17, he said, the day you eat of that, what was going to happen? You will surely die, he told him. He gave him, that, he gave him that truth, that promises, this is what would happen. And so diseases in this world because of sin. And we're being told here, though, that God heals our diseases, And I believe that God does heal disease and no disease is beyond his power to heal. Nothing, nothing is beyond his ability to heal. However, he does not always heal us from disease like we would like him to, right? I mean, there are times where God doesn't answer the prayer that we're praying for, for ourselves or for somebody to be healed. You know, the apostle Paul, right, experienced that. He experienced praying for people and seeing them struggle. You know, and even in his own life, he sought the Lord's healing and the Lord's provision. And the Lord told him that his grace was sufficient for him. So we know that God doesn't always heal from disease like we would like it to be. But God does ultimately heal. And, you know, every believer, I believe, is ultimately healed of all disease by passing from this life into the presence of the Lord. We are ultimately all healed if our faith is in Christ. We're healed of the consequences of sin that has been brought into this world because of sin. And I think that's probably one of the reasons New Testament writers reference to believers dying is that they've fallen asleep, right? They haven't been defeated by death but they've fallen asleep and they're, they're waiting. They're in the presence of the Lord waiting for that day of resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 mentions this, but now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so because Christ is risen, we have that promise that when we die, <laughs> we're healed of disease and we're in the presence of the Lord, that there is gonna be resurrection. And so God does heal, and only God has the power to heal. I think it's important to remember this as we consider this benefit of the Lord. And so when healing comes, it is the work of the Lord in a person's life. You know, God can do it miraculously, you know, with just in a moment, an instant, somebody can be healed. And God also at times uses medical intervention to heal people. But it's still the Lord working in a person's life. And so knowing that God heals... Uh, we must do what James tells us to do in James 5, 14 and 15. It says, and is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. 
And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And so we believe that as a church, we pray for people. And so if there's sickness, you know, come be anointed with oil and look to God to heal because God does heal, but he doesn't always heal like we want him to. And I think that's the important thing to remember, you know, because sometimes it's sad that many, in many places, people have, you know, taught incorrectly that God always heals. And if healing doesn't happen, it's because the person didn't have enough faith or their family didn't have enough faith. And that's just not what scripture teaches. It's not at all what scripture teaches, but we are called to come in faith and ask for healing because the Lord does heal. So he heals our diseases. And, you know, some could also take this in verse three that Paul, uh, that David is talking about spiritual disease. And it could include that, but I really believe that, that he's really referring to physical disease here and God's ability to heal. And then, in, so that's the first two is God delivers or God forgives all our iniquities he heals all your diseases. And then in verse four, the first half of it, he redeems. It says, who redeems your life from destruction. That word redeem means to reclaim as one's own, to claim for oneself to redeem. And this is what God has done for us. He has claimed us as his own. We were sold under sin and he redeemed us with the blood of his son. He bought us back from the slave market of sin, and now we have been claimed by him as his. And I love the way Paul refers to this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. He refers to this redemption. He says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. And that word there, lay hold, <clears throat> the Greek word, is katalambano, and it means to make something one's own, to win, to attain. So just like this word back here in Psalm 103, redeem, David is saying that God has made him his own, that he belongs to God. And I think, you know, let that sink in for a moment, <laughs> that tonight, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, he has redeemed you. He's made you his. You belong to him. And, and all that, that that's entailed in that is yours because he's made you his own you, and you're his. And I think the Lord wants us to take great comfort in that, that we belong to him, that he's put his name upon us and said, we're, we're his. And he's not ashamed of us. He's not ready to hide us. He's not ready to cast us aside. He, we're his and we belong to him. And Paul recognizing that, as he says there in Philippians 3.12, because he knew that Christ had made him his, Paul's desire was to press on to make Christ his, to lay hold of Christ, like Christ had laid hold of him. So <clears throat> what did he redeem us from? Well, he redeemed us, as this psalm says here in verse 4, from our, our life from destruction, not only eternal destruction, but destruction that comes in a person's life. I mean, if you take the time to look at people's lives, you know, to watch biographies or read a biography of a famous person or, or watch a, a movie about a famous person, you see if they don't have a relationship with the Lord that there's just heartache and misery and destruction in their life. 
Their life is not a wonderful thing when you examine it. And so the Lord has delivered us not only from eternal destruction, but from just the destruction that can come upon a person's life here from pursuing other things instead of walking with the Lord. And I'm just so thankful for that in my life. I'm thankful that the Lord has done that for me. I think at times I I think about where would I be if the Lord hadn't redeemed me? What would my life look look like? How miserable it would be if the Lord had not come and made me his. And that's the truth that we need to remember tonight is he has made us his. And so he redeems us there, verse 4. And then next, in ver- next half of verse 4, it says that who crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. So he crowns us. And it says here with loving kindness, which speaks of God's goodness, kindness, and faithfulness. That's what he crowns us with. Tozer, uh, speaking of the goodness of God, says the goodness of God is that which disposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill toward men. He is tender-hearted and of quick sympathy, and his unfailing attitude toward all moral beings is open, frank, and friendly. By his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness, and he takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people." And so he crowns us with loving kindness, his goodness he has crowned us with. And it also says there with tender mercies, which means mercy and compassion. The Hebrew word that's used there for tender mercies is a word that's used to express the covenant faithfulness of God's character through his bestowal of mercy and compassion on his people according to the abundance of his loyal love. And so the Lord has crowned us with this, with his loving kindness or his goodness, his tender mercy or his compassion. The Lord has crowned us with these things. And that word crown, I find it interesting. Um, There's two ways it can be defined. The first is that means surround. So envelop, close in upon, to completely be around a person or object, so not to allow an object or person to pass in or out of of an area. So if you take it that way, he surrounded us with his loving kindness and with his mercy. He's enveloped us in those things and we can't escape it. And it's a good thing we can't escape it, right? Who would want to escape these things, these blessings of the Lord. Another way that word crown could be defined as honor. Uh, Formally, it means to crown, i.e. to place high status or blessing on a person or object as a figurative extension of placing a wreath or a crown on a head. So then the idea would be that he has blessed us. You know, he has placed his favor upon us is what David is saying here by crowning us. So either way, it's a good thing, right? that the Lord has shown us and has crowned us with tender mercy and with loving kindness upon our lives. He goes on to verse five to talk about the fact that he satisfies us. He says, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord alone can satisfy us. And I think it's important for us to be reminded of that. You know, we were created to know him and to have a relationship with him. And as such, we can only find satisfaction in that, in knowing and being in a relationship with the Lord. Um, And so we need to keep this in mind, that satisfaction is only found in him. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.17 speaks of the fact that we've been made a new creation in Christ. And so 
by as such, our desires have been changed from earthly things to a desire for eternal things. And so <clears throat> before Christ, we had desires for things that were contrary to the Lord and contrary to good for our lives. And seeking and pursuing those things, we would never find satisfaction. But now in Christ, in a relationship with him, in a new creation, he's renewed and changed us and given us desire for good things. Things that we can, and, and, and this relationship with him that will satisfy. I want to read here a comment, comment by Guzik on this. It says, the result of God's work, both in what he saves us from and what he saves us unto, is to bring true satisfaction to our lives. This is different from mere pleasure or entertainment. God wants to bring true satisfaction to our lives from good things. The satisfaction becomes a source of strength and energy to his people. So, you know, it, this doesn't mean we don't have to battle, right, with the flesh. I mean, the flesh is going to continue to want to desire earthly and worldly things. But the Lord has given us a new heart with a desire for the things of the spirit. And so we have to be on guard. We still have to battle. And we have to remember that there will be no satisfaction in those things that the world and our flesh are desiring us to pursue. And that the only satisfaction we can find is in Christ. For only in him can we be truly satisfied. Um, and so, and praise the Lord for that, right? Praise the Lord that we can't find satisfaction in what the world and our flesh are trying to offer us. Because if we did, we'd have no desire for the Lord and for what he wants for our lives. And so praise the Lord that he has made it such that we'll never find satisfaction in those desires of the flesh, but only in him. And again, as I just mentioned, you know, it doesn't mean there's not going to be a struggle in this and not going to be that we have to be on guard. Uh, Paul in Philippians 4.11 says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And so Paul, they're acknowledging the need to learn contentment, right? To learn satisfaction and contentment in the Lord and what the Lord provides and who the Lord is. Hebrews 13, 5, we're given this warning. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So the Lord there reminding us <clears throat> to watch out for coveting and wanting something that the Lord doesn't have for us, instead to be content with what he's given, and I think be ultimately satisfied with the fact that he's never going to leave us or forsake us. He's always going to be present in our lives, and so we can find satisfaction in him. Psalm 107.9 says, For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. And this is our God. You know, he wants to satisfy our lives. He wants to make our lives complete. And he goes on there in verse 5 to say, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And, you know, there's um, a little bit of, with the Hebrew there, not very real clarity in exactly what's being expressed. But I think one thing we can take from this is that the Lord desires for us to be, uh, to have that strength and to soar like an eagle soars. For there to be uh, uh, just a, uh, a, a soar in our lives and our walk with him, not down in the mud, 
but, but soaring and, and enjoying the blessings of the Lord, allowing him to satisfy us, allowing him to renew our strength and give us what we need to live this life and to fight this battle that is before us. And so the Lord satisfies us. And then you come, we come to verse six. <clears throat> In verse six, he says, the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. So he judges righteously, we see here. And I think this is a benefit of the Lord that's in, that we need to remember. The word executes there in verse 6 means to do. You could say the manner or way in which God judges is righteous and just. And so we can have peace and confidence that he is a righteous judge. And we, can, we should find rest and hope in this truth. You know, God sees the whole picture he sees all of it, and because he does, and because he's righteous and just, he's able to judge righteously. And so no injustice escapes his sight, right? And aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad that no injustice is God misses? God sees it all, and he will judge. He will judge, and he will get it right when he judges. And so we are called, and we can rest in this, the fact that God is a righteous and just judge, and, and allow ourselves to be at peace there. You know, Romans 12, 19, we're reminded there, beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so we're called to remember that to leave judgment in God's hands, to allow him to deal with those that oppose us and with those who do wicked things, knowing that God will take care of it. And I think finding rest in that truth should set us free to do what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 43 through 45. And let me read that. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And so <clears throat> when we can allow ourselves to recognize that God, that vengeance is his, that he's a righteous judge, then we can go to him with the confidence and pray. Pray for those people that have hurt us. Pray for those people who are doing wrong. Pray for them to come to repentance so that they can experience these things that the Lord wants them to experience, these things that he's allowing us to experience. And, and for us as believers to be at rest, God's got it, right? To be at rest because he's in control and he do, he's not missing a thing that's going on in this world. He sees it all. And so the benefit of the Lord is he is a righteous and just judge. And then in verse 7, <clears throat> David says, He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. You know, God has not left us in the dark. He has made himself known. And this is a, a wonderful benefit that the Lord has bestowed upon us. He has graciously revealed to us, to you and to me, what he has done, who he is, and what he expects of us. We're not left in the dark. We're not left to wonder and hope that we have this thing figured out, right? I mean, aren't you glad tonight that you don't have to wonder about God? You don't have to wonder about what he expects of you. You don't have to wonder whether you have eternal life or whether there's even life beyond this one. 
We don't have to wonder about that because God has revealed himself to us and he has made known these things. Think about this truth. I've already alluded to it in what I'm saying here, but 1 John 5, 11 through 13. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And so God's revealed that to us. We, this has been given to us in his word so that we can know we have eternal life. We can know where we're going to be when we pass from this life to the next because the Lord has revealed it to us. And aren't you glad tonight that God has made himself known to you? I mean, how miserable is it to be in a place of not knowing the Lord? And the Lord in his kindness and his goodness has given us his word, right? So that we could know who he is. So that we can know uh, what he expects again and, and what, how we can attain salvation. He's revealed himself to us. And so... Again, another benefit of the Lord. And that brings us to verses 8 through 10, where David says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. You know, mercy and grace um, is not just what God shows, but it's who he is. David is speaking here from experience, I think, based in his relationship with God. He had experienced the mercy and grace of the Lord. And how do we know that? Well, we know that from the historical record that we have in the Old Testament. You know, David had committed adultery and he had murdered. And under the law, there was no remedy for that. The only remedy for David under the law was death, was capital punishment. But God had shown mercy to him and his repentance and him coming to the Lord and, and calling to the Lord for forgiveness and David acknowledging his sin. He had experienced the mercy and the grace of the Lord. You know, some try to say that the God of the Old Testament is angry and harsh, right? While the God of the New Testament is gracious and kind. Well, that's just simply ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, reading this psalm here, you can see that that's not at all true. In fact, think of this for a moment. Do you think David, if David would have been alive when Jesus started to minister in this world, do you think he would have been surprised by the way Jesus ministered? I don't think so. I don't think he would have been a bit surprised. I think it would have been exactly what he would expect God in, in, in human flesh to live like and to act like. And so David knew these things of the Lord because he had experienced them personally. This is who God is. He's merciful and he's gracious. David goes on in these verses to list some things that I think are the result of God being merciful and gracious. In verse 8, he points out that God is slow to anger. In other words, he doesn't have a short fuse. And if you remember going uh, through the book of uh, Exodus with Pastor Troy, um, it's the same word that Pastor Troy noted there in the book of Exodus. He's long of nose, is what he told us. Right? In other words, again, meaning he, has a he doesn't have a short fuse. He isn't ready just at the snap of a, of a moment to take somebody out because they failed. 
He's slow of anger, slow to be angry. And he's abounding in mercy, he tells us there. Because God's merciful and gracious, he's also abounding in mercy. Abounding means ample, abundant. That word abundant uh, means pertain to a relatively large collection or mass with a focus that is more than enough for a situation. Aren't you glad that that's how God's mercy is? That there's more than enough for my situation and your situation. It's not like when it comes to you and needing mercy, oh, sorry, God ran out. There's not enough for you. It's ample. There's sufficient for our needs and the mercy that we need in our lives. In verse 9, it says he's not always striving um, or, or remaining angry with us. You know, man sadly does this with each other, right? Man strives with one another. Man can remain angry with each other. And sadly, at times, even be doing the same with God, striving with God and being angry with the Lord. And, but this is not who God is. Um, the one commentator says these very human terms point to the contrast between God's generosity and the heavy-handed wrath of man who loves to keep his quarrels going and to nurse, nurse his grievances. And that's who man is, but that's, who not, that's not who God is. That's not our God. And I just want to remind you tonight on this, and I, if you don't hear anything else, I, I hope you hear this. You know, God is not against you tonight. God is not sitting there angry with you and, and, and against you. If you've put your faith in Christ, if you've trusted his son for your salvation, He's not against you. And Paul in Romans 8, 31 through 34 reminds us of that. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who freely did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And so that is the truth tonight. That is God's truth to us, that God is not against us. In fact, he's for us. He gave up his most precious thing. He gave up his son for us to pay for the price of our sin. And his son now is there making intercession for us. Saying, this is my, he, that you are his. You belong to him and he's paid the price. And so God has not remained angry with us. In, in Christ, we have found forgiveness. We've found his mercy and grace. In verse 10, because God is merciful and gracious, he's not giving us what we deserve. He says he has dealt with us, not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. I mean, wow, praise the Lord, that's true. That that's not how he's dealt with us. If God punished us according to or in line with our sin, our iniquities, we would all be in a lot of trouble. And I would be first in line in a lot of trouble. But that's not how God has dealt with us. Instead, he has shown us mercy and grace. Lamentations 3.22 says, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. His compassions fail not. And because of his mercy, we're not consumed. So all of these things that Paul's, I mean, David's mentioning here is rooted in the fact that God is merciful and gracious to us. In verse 11, 
he answers, I think, the question, well, how abundant is God's mercy? He says, therefore, as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. So David said there in verse 8, you know, when we looked at it just a few moments ago, that God's mercy is abounding. How much is that, David? And David answers that question here. God's mercy is as high as the heavens are above the earth. How high is that? We don't know. <laughs> and the good news for us is not tonight is that even if we were able to measure it, or maybe one day somebody will be able to measure how high the heavens are above the earth, if they were able to, the good news, Lamentations 3.23 says, they are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. So even if they could be measurable, and they aren't now, no one can measure how high the heavens are above the earth. That's how high God's mercies are towards us. And they're new every morning. Every morning we have a new set of mercy for our lives. And I don't know about you, but man, I'm I glad about that. I'm glad that that's the case because, again, I need that mercy. I need God to show me that mercy in my life. And verse 12, he answers the question, I think, how complete is the forgiveness that God has? As far as the east is from the west, he says, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So um, how complete is this forgiveness? He says he's moved our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. And, and that can't be measured. That's an unmeasurable distance because east and west never meet. You know, you can go east forever and ever and ever, or you can go west forever and ever. And that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. That's how complete his forgiveness is. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Praise the Lord for that, that God doesn't remember our sins. Now, our adversary remembers our sins, and he's good about reminding us of them. And our flesh and our fallen memory can remember our sins, but God doesn't remember them. He has completely forgiven those things that we have, we have asked for forgiveness for. He has taken them completely away. In verses 13 through 14, he answers the question, what is his compassion like? He says, there as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. His, and so he compares the, the Lord's compassion to the compassion of a father with their child. And what comes to my mind as I was thinking about this is a young child, you know, a toddler running along and inevitably falling, right? And skinning their knee and hurting themselves. And the father coming along and picking them up and having compassion on them. I mean... That's how a father is. If father has any bit of care, right, for his child, he's going to come and pick that little child up and show compassion to them, show care to them. And this is how the father, our heavenly father is with us. He shows compassion upon us, just as a father would a child. And he doesn't stop there. God sees our weakness and has compassion on us as well because of that. He says there in verse 14, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God remembers our weakness. He knows that we're frail. 
And as such, he has compassion on us. He's not indifferent to our weakness. He's, the, he's not in caring about it. He, he sees and he knows this is who we are. Now, it doesn't excuse it, right? The, the psalm is not saying God excuses our weaknesses and blows them over and says, don't worry about your failures. But God recognizes and sees our weakness. And I would say, in fact, because he knows we're weak, that's why he sent Christ, right? He sent Christ because he knew that we were too frail to ever accomplish what was needed. And that was to be completely righteous, to have the righteousness of God. We were incapable of that. And so he sent his son for us, knowing that we were frail, knowing that we were weak. And he gives us today, as we walk with him, he's given us a spirit to enable us to walk with him. Because again, he knows we're frail. He knows that we're just dust. Verses 15 and 16, we've kind of gotten to the place now where David's kind of think, gone through the benefits and reminded us of the benefits of the Lord. And, and I think he here takes a moment to remind us of who man is before he goes on and contrasts that to who the Lord is. In verses 15 and 16, he says, As for a man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. And so man, we see here in verses 15 and 16, is temporary. We're reminded of, of, temp of how temporary our life is on this earth. We're here for just such a short time. Right? Such a short and fleeting time are we here. And most of us, I know this may make you really sad, but it's true. <laughs> it's true of me too. Most of us will not be remembered by many people. Right? Most people, there's been billions and billions of people that have lived in this world. And most, most people don't even know who they were. Don't even re remember or know their name. And that's how temporary, that's how passing our life is. And yet, yet, despite that, God loves us like David has described here in this psalm. And he loads us down with his benefits, even though we're just temporary. Our life is so short, our life is but a vapor, and yet the Lord shows us these benefits and cares for us in this way. And in contrast to us, verses 16 through, I mean 17 through 19, David says, but the mercies of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all the earth. And so in contrast to mankind, the Lord is eternal. David is expressing here. The Lord is eternal. He's not temporary. He has established his throne in heaven and he rules over all and that will never change. That's never going to change. It's never, it has always been that way and will always be that way that he reigns and he's not going away. He is eternal. Because God is eternal, what does that mean for us? Well, it means his mercy is eternal, right? Because if God wasn't eternal, then his mercy couldn't be eternal. And thankfully, he is eternal, and therefore his mercy is eternal. God cannot cease to be merciful because, again, that's who he is. And because God is immutable, in other words, God doesn't change, God will always be merciful. God will never cease to be merciful. And this is great news, not only for us, but as David points out here, for our children and for their children, it's great news that there is 
God's mercy is not going anywhere. And so if you here tonight are a parent or grandparent, you can take peace and confidence in knowing that God is going to be merciful. God is merciful. And he's merciful to all who call upon his name. Now, of course, that's the catch, right? We have to be willing to go to him. We have to be willing to call upon the name of the Lord. And so that should be our prayer for our children and our children's children is may they be people who run to the Lord. May they be those who call upon the name of the Lord because we know from our own lives that God is merciful to us. God is merciful and he has shown us mercy and he's going to do the same for them if they will run to him, if they will call upon his name. And so we can be confident of that. And David was, as he looked out into the future, was confident that the Lord would continue to be merciful. And so as a result of this, Therefore, praise the Lord. Let's read verses 20 through 22. There David says, Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you host, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, and all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And because of who the Lord is and his benefits, David here concludes now with a call for God to be worshipped. The call from angels down to all of God's creation to worship the Lord because of who he is and what he has done. And David doesn't stop, though, with a call to others. He ends just as he began with a reminder to himself to worship the Lord, to give praise and glory and honor to, the, to his name to, for everything that who he is and what he's done. And so tonight, as we approach um, Thanksgiving next week, I just want to encourage us and exhort us to be those people who are remembering the benefits of the Lord. This is who our God is. This is what the Lord has done for us. And may that stir our hearts to worship him, not just with our words, but to worship him with our mind and our soul and all of our being. May we be, as David saying, we're saying, bless the Lord, oh my soul. May everything in me worship him. And there is no greater thing than for us to do than to worship the Lord. The worship team can come forward. And let's just close with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the reminder tonight, God, of, Lord, your great mercy and, and your great love, Lord, your forgiveness, Father. Lord, your eternality, Lord, the effect that you don't change and you remain Lord, one who is abounding in mercy towards us. The fact, Lord, that you have forgiven us of all of our iniquities, Lord. There's not a single sin, Lord, that you have not forgiven, to, forgiven us of as we have come to you and asked for forgiveness, Lord. You have been faithful. God, thank you for that tonight. Thank you that you don't change, Lord, and that you continue to desire to want to crown us, Lord, with your goodness, with your loving kindness, Lord. You want to surround us and, Lord, have us just completely wrapped, Lord, in your goodness and your care for our lives, Lord. And so thank you tonight for that. Thank you, Lord, for the way your spirit moves in our lives and, God, that you've revealed, Lord, we're blessed people. Tonight we know, Lord, we know, Lord, that we, can, we have eternal life in your Son, because, Lord, you have revealed that to us. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you for taking the time, Lord, to know us and to reveal yourself to us. And, 
Lord, we just want to say we love you. Lord, please continue to open our eyes, God, to who you are. Lord, help us to be satisfied with you and you alone, I pray. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys. Can